Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to help save lives? Work at Alchemy, one of the fastest growing drug development and manufacturing companies in the world. Alchemy has openings in our plants across the Carolinas, including Charleston, a great place to work and play. Enjoy a signing bonus, free health care, and more. Visit workatalchemy.com. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. Attention homeowners, due to upcoming government regulations, the current energy efficiency ratings for HVAC systems will change. Current inventory cannot be sold after December 31st. As the year 2023 starts, customers can expect to pay an average of 30% more for a new HVAC unit that will meet the new government regulations. So what does this mean for you, the customer? There's no better time to purchase a new HVAC system. AAA Heating and Air must empty their warehouse to make room for the new systems. No deals will be turned down. With their 15-year parts and labor warranty plus guaranteed financing, they have made it possible for anyone to get a new system. Call today and enjoy your new home comfort as quickly as tomorrow. But you can only get this special deal by calling 803-677-1500. AAA Heating and Air wants to give you their best deal possible on a new HVAC unit, but you have to call today. 803-677-1500. And tell them you heard about this deal on 107.5 The Game's Gamecock Central Podcast. AAA Air when you need us. AAA Heating and Air. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler. This has been in the works for a while. We're really excited to officially have the Gamecock Central Hour. Chris Clark. And J.J. has accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl already, which is awesome, uh, the Reese's Senior Bowl. And Wes Mitchell. Um, I think he's well above 200 into like the 210 range. Uh, a dude in the weight room, too, like from a strength standpoint. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. Game. A minute after 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning, and welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour here on 107.5 The Game. Pearson, Chris, and the dude in the weight room himself, Wes Mitchell, here with you talking Carolina football. Carolina lost to Missouri. Turning the page on that, but uh, still some questions and answers for and from coaches and players yesterday. We'll get Wes and Chris's reaction to that and then actually start to look ahead to Carolina's next football game because there actually is one, and it's actually against Vanderbilt. And even though it's not exciting to talk about the Vanderbilt game, that's Carolina's next best opportunity to get to bowl eligibility. So it will be an extremely important game. Also just to see how this team bounces back after a very, very disappointing effort on Saturday night against Missouri. Uh, With that being said, it seemed like the biggest headline yesterday, Chris, was Shane Beamer's, I love that Ben Portnoy actually counted it, 588-word, three-minute and 17-second answer to the question about why Jaheim Bell wasn't getting in the personnel groupings that were on the field. I came out on the other side of that question not having any more clarity on um, why. So if you can translate or if you're left as dumbfounded as I am, wherever you want to take it. You know, I actually uh, I actually came away yesterday with a little bit more clarity on on a couple items. Shane Beamer's Sunday teleconference, if you were just looking for, like, a quote 
or a sound bite on how he felt on either of the two hot button issues. There's two of them. One's Jaheim Bell. Two is obviously the offense, offensive coordinator situation and any timing or changes there. If you were just looking for a soundbite on Sunday, you obviously didn't get it. Soundbites don't always equate, obviously, to what a coach is thinking. Mm-hmm. So I do think that yesterday during the weekly press conference, I think Beamer, you know, took a different tone and also expounded more. So as as opposed to saying, you know, giving the nope answer on, on mm-hmm. Marcus Satterfield, he actually fleshed that out a lot more and gave an answer that even helped us count the players on the field. Yes, for those of us that but don't but know. he probably he probably I think gave what to some fans would be like a more satisfactory answer on that and and same thing with Jaheim and and I think what he said on Jaheim that it's not going to satisfy people nor should it because everybody agrees universally that Jaheim Bell should play more whether it's Jaheim his family Shane Beamer Marcus Satterfield. Wes and Chris, Pearson, like everybody thinks that he should probably be getting the ball more, right? So it's just kind of how do you solve that and why has it happened? I, I think he actually did expand more on it beyond on Sunday, you know, talking about the personnel groupings. He brought that up yesterday, but it was more, I'm the head coach. We have to make sure he's on the field. And so to that extent, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be surprising if he doesn't get it more going forward, at least for the Vanderbilt game, yeah. but, but we'll see. Well, someone texted yesterday and was like, he's going to get, you know, four touches in the first four plays of the game (laughs) against Vanderbilt just to kind of prove a point. And and if he does, that's fine. I guess that's kind of what people have been asking for. But the the unsatisfactory part for me in the three minute and 17 second, 588 word answer is in addition to counting players, the, the, the crux of that issue seemed to be you have your five offensive linemen, you have Spencer, everybody wants Marshawn on the field. There's four players left, and if you know you're playing Jaheim and these other guys, then you're going to be saying, "Well, where's Stogner and where's Brooks and where's Wells and where's all the other guys?" And to me, that's a false premise. He's constructing a little bit of a straw man because he and Marcus Satterfield and the fans and the draft experts and everybody since last I don't know November haven't been saying, "Watch out, Jalen Brooks is a potential first round draft pick. Watch out, Juice is a first round draft pick. Watch out, Stogner is a first round draft pick." That's what we've been hearing from Wells. It was last week, one week ago today, that Marcus Satterfield said he's one of the best playmakers that he's ever been around. So you can't tell me that there are four guys that are better than him when you're also telling me that he's the best player on the team. Like, those things don't match up. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the personnel package um, conversation is um, kind of more of a surface-level thing, and it's like, yeah, every coach – has a bunch of different personnel packages and and yes yeah, so you have you basically have um you know five eligible targets for any given play um you know you have your five linemen your quarterback and then you have five options that you can you know divvy up and divide up what position groups are on the field and then within those position groups which players are on the field and um you know i i think it was sort of a surface level answer um also didn't necessarily dive into well why aren't you calling the personnel packages that put Jaheim Bell on the field or just um, say hey Marcus I don't care next series Jaheim Bell's on the play on the draw on the drive every single play like just put your arm around him say don't care just put him in there yeah and I you know I here's the thing I, I think to an extent we also have to remember you know some sometimes maybe there are situations where they did 
um, you know, get into the flow of the game and plan to call something more, and then it just kind of never happens within the flow of the game. On the other hand, you know, I, I think like most things, there probably is um, there probably are multiple sides to mm-hmm. this, and uh, you know, I, I think uh, when Jaheim Bell is in the game, he's he's got to execute. As well, he, you know, he's got to catch the football. Um, he's had some drops. He's had and, some uh, He's got to get lined up correctly, and he's got to mm-hmm. to do the things that are being asked mm-hmm. um, of him as well. So I I I think maybe on the surface um, it is pretty simple. Like yeah, Jaheim Bell should play more. I think everybody, uh, including the head coach, agrees with that. I think if you start diving below that, um, you know, like everybody else, uh, Bell's got to execute when he's in there. Um, you know, and, and then, um, you know, the, the snaps and the plays will, will sort of go up. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting. We've all kind of latched onto this, this part of the conversation. Um, I think there are obviously more issues within the offensive issues, Mm -hmm. if you will. But, um, this one has kind of just popped up as the most glaring and easiest target, I, I think. And, and it goes back to what you said. I mean, here's the thing, like when, when, when I, I don't want to lump Chris in, but like if I say something preseason about, hey, I think Jaheim Bell is going to be the focal point of this offense. Mm-hmm. Um, if Marcus Lattimore says something like Jaheim Bell may carry the ball X times. number of times, um, we're not making those things up. Like it was very much thought coming into this season that Jaheim Bell mm-hmm. was very much going to be at least one of the top three. Guys, let's right. just put it like that. That's that's like if putting you had to it rank the top three and going going into the season, you probably would have picked Marshawn Van and Bell, mm-hmm. and you're it, kind of batting one for three. But let me stop you there. There's nothing wrong with saying that in the preseason. There's nothing wrong with the coaching staff hyping him up in the spring and in the summer and in preseason, and he's getting the accolades and the watch list and the NFL draft projections and all of these things. But the problem, and this is why I feel like the staff has put themselves between a rock and a hard place, is that you have continued. To double down on it. Marcus Satterfield's comments last week, almost after every single game, the coaching staff is being asked why Jaheim Bell isn't playing more, why he isn't being targeted more. And and rather than saying, and I know you don't want to throw him under the bus, but there are ways to do this eloquently to say, well, you know, he, he's got to do these things better. He's got to block better, run his routes better. He's got to know where to line up. If that's the issue, then he's, if he can't do those things, then he's not as good as you're saying. And if he can do those things, then you just need to put him on the field more. Yeah, and I, I think um, a place where the staff, uh, you know, where Satterfield, uh, let's call it what it is, where Satterfield walked himself into a corner was not just the comments last week, but the comments um, coming out of, like, the Georgia game and, and where he said he kind of did what you said. He gave an explanation, and it mm-hmm. was, look, um, you know, we've, we need him to, to play better without the football is mm-hmm. essentially what he said. Like, we need him to be able to block. We need him to be able to, to do all the other things that require you, um, that you're required to do at a specific position if we're going to move him around, play him at different spots. And um, then the opponent doesn't know, oh, he's on the field. They're going to try to get the football to him. Well, I think where he backed himself in the corner was when he said um, he's improving at those things. Mm-hmm. He's doing those things now. He's working hard to do those things. And again, I don't know if it was exactly quoted that he said his snaps were going to go up, but he um, at least insinuated that he was doing those things now, so that would lead to more playing time. And then, you know, that has has not happened. So I, I think um, again, there there's plenty 
of blame to go around in this thing. But I, I will say um, I think he has really hurt himself by, like you said, doubling down, say, you know, saying I- I'd love to get the ball to him. A hundred um, times. Yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, again, when now when he's out there, um, you know, I, I think it is also worth it to say, like, Bell's got to do the things that are asked of him as well when he is on the field. Yeah, and and I think maybe even the bigger issue than the amount of his touches is is the actual snaps, mm-hmm. right? Because like what Wes said, when you're kind of intimating that his that his snaps are going to go up, that he's improved, he's really you know dedicated himself to playing better without the ball, doing those things, but the snap totals have like gone down each week, and I know. You know, you, you kind of got to measure that in a relative sense because what they play against Missouri, 50-something. I mean, just, yeah, but they've, they've gone down every, every literally week. every week of the season except yes. for the Kentucky game. Yeah, every week. And so that that is hard to reconcile. You know, if he's playing, uh, you know, 40, let's call it 40 snaps a game if you play 70. So if mm-hmm. he's playing like half the snaps and he's not getting the ball, that's maybe a, a little bit of a different type of conversation. Yeah, that's that's more so, an, an indictment, I think, on his individual performance. Oh, yeah, oh, you can still talk about you know play calling and finding him mm-hmm. some things there, but it, it might be a little bit more. So I, I totally agree with Wes. I mean, there there have been some times, there's some things he has to do better, but you, you do have to, he doesn't have a chance to do what he can do if he's not on the field more. I actually looked and saw, so last year around the same time, Jaheim Bell had, I think, 32 total touches versus 21 this year through the same point. So they got him the ball actually a little bit more last year, and I haven't broken out the snaps. I would imagine he probably played a little bit more in a lot of these games. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, I think it's a great point, man. Last year, um, they were able to get him on the field, you know, along with Nick Muse where, you know, Bell was sort of the off-the-line um, off tight end, H-back, slot guy, whatever you want to call it. They played – um you know, Nick attached, which is sort of where um, Stog is playing right now. So, you know, I think they've they've showed he he can he can do those things. It's just um, you know they have not done it this year. And I had another point that I think I just completely lost. Um, well, we'll it looks like he was he one two three four five six seven eight nine ten. Yeah, he had catches in eleven games last year. So um, that you know, I'm guessing he's playing more snaps. But that's they were at least using him every time he was out there. Yeah, and. Um, had a huge game against Vanderbilt, so I don't know if there's a matchup thing to possibly watch. You know, all, th- this is probably like your texter or caller said. You know, this is maybe when um, it, they they force the ball to him, and he, he could have a big game this week. But um, the the other side of this, y'all, is that they have not been successful on offense. Mm-hmm. If um, the the personnel thing and the number of playmakers thing probably is much more well-received if it's like, look, guys, you know, we're trying to mix and match personnel. We're trying to – essentially what Beamer is saying is, hey, some situations dictate us going four wide. Some situations dictate us putting uh, three tight ends on the field. Sometimes you put two tight ends, but you want more of a two blocking tight ends. You know, all those things are valid. But I, I think where the fans get upset is when they hear that, you know, they hear there's all these playmakers that Carolina needs to get on the field. Then they're looking at the offensive output as mm-hmm. well. If Carolina was putting up a bunch of yards and it was just, hey, this week is Wells' week to shine. Hey, this week the matchup and the defensive calls dictated that this guy got the ball. And, and you were still putting up big yardage. 
I think it would be, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of complaint. Like, hey, where's Bell? But that argument that we're talking about, the personnel argument would be, you know, I think people would accept it a lot more because it would, it would make sense. This, to me, is more like, all right, the offense is struggling, and you have this guy on your roster that you yourself has said is such an incredible playmaker, and it just has not happened this year. I want to come back to that idea. As we talk about the offense in general, they will need, and they're not going to need to have their best offensive performance ever to beat Vanderbilt this weekend, but it will certainly need to be better than it was last weekend. So I, I have a suggestion for you guys. I mentioned this, uh, I guess, when I opened the show earlier, and you know, I, I say things unchecked when I'm here by myself. So if you guys feel like you need to check me, I want you to have a, have a chance to check me. I have a suggestion about what this Jaheim Bell situation might mean to the offense in general. 803-404-6100. Love Chevy phone line. Text line if you guys want to be a part of the show. That's how you can get us. And all three of us are available for you on Twitter, at Pearson Fowler, at West Mitchell GC, and at GC Chris Clark. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. 21 minutes after 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour here on 107.5 The Game. Pearson, Wes, Chris, here with you in the Herndon Chevy Studios. Talking Carolina football, moving on from Missouri, looking ahead to Vanderbilt, but a lot of interesting comments yesterday during player and coach media availability. South Carolina's coordinators will speak today too. Uh, Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White. Don't I don't think it's a Pete Limbo day. Could be wrong. Um, it's not. Not. Yeah, he kind of does like an every other week thing. In any case, uh, tomorrow too, Carolina calls right here on 107.5 The Game. And after that, we'll have coverage of Thursday Night Football, the Eagles at the Texans. Coverage will start right here on 107.5 The Game at 7.30 PM. So a lot to listen to here on 107.5 The Game. I have a suggestion for you two. I started, I opened the 9 o'clock hour saying this Jaheim Bell thing is not that big a deal and that Jaheim Bell getting touches, not getting touches is not the difference in Carolina being like 10-2 and two and 6-6. Six and six. He's a good player. He needs to be more involved. This is not, you know, benching Tom Brady in favor of Davis Mills. You know, this is, there are other problems here. But my suspicion is that whatever communication, evaluation, execution breakdown is happening wherever in the, in the chain it's happening, but from Shane to Marcus, from Marcus to Jaheim or wherever, is probably indicative of some of the other breakdowns and lack of communications and just general inability for the offense to be effective. Because the way that I look at it, and Wes, you, you hit on it, if the offense were high flying right now, it would be like, oh man, like where's Jaheim? Thought he was going to have a big season. Doesn't matter. If the offense were terrible and Jaheim were playing a lot, like you were mentioning, Chris, it's like maybe there's some more specific things you could do to get him the ball, but he's playing and the offense isn't good. That kind of is self-explanatory. But right now the offense is bad and you're not getting him the football. It's not bad because you're not getting him the football, but is the offense bad because of some other you know, just because they're not as high profile as Jaheim Bell not getting on the field, are there other kind of evaluation issues that we are missing that the staff's making that's causing them to be just so underwhelming on that side of the ball? Is that a question? Like, that's that's the question? That, that's a question. Is, is, <laughs> that's is, a is, long the, question. is the Jaheim Bell experience <laughs> a fair representation of the problems with the offense in general? Um. 
No and yes. Um, <laughs> oh boy. No, I, I think, give me no. Give me no first, and then give me yes. I, I think it is. I think it is one. It is one of the problems, and mm-hmm. it is probably representative of some of the greater problems. But then okay. there are even more issues. I, I think. I, I think. I think ultimately, it. Here's where I have settled, and that is um, NFL offense bad, college mm-hmm. offense good. Wait, wait, wait. Nice. That That's yeah. where I've ended up. And, um, you know, may, maybe some of that, uh, if, if it's an umbrella, maybe some of what we're seeing with Jaheim sort of uh, does fall under that and that you are, you know, in, in my mind, NFL offense equals complicated college offense equals not mm-hmm. so um I, I i think it is increasingly difficult to run an nfl style offense and you know they they have here's the thing the response to that would be well they have simplified what they're doing on offense this year and that would be absolutely true but i i think it goes a bit deeper than that in that you're your best college offenses, it appears to me, outside looking in, that they have a scheme that is sort of um, pretty simple to install the the basics of, and then they build off of it from there. But there is a, a structured um, sort of base offense that has your, your set plays, and this is what you go major in. Basically, Marcus Satterfield runs the Will Muschamp defense on offense where every play a safety has 75 responsibilities and checks and reads and it's just impossible to keep up with it. I'll build on your academic analogy yesterday. You were talking about grading the Gamecocks like it's a test or an essay. Marcus Satterfield is installing organic chemistry and you can dumb down organic organic chemistry, but it's still not going to be bio for non-majors. And this needs to be bio for non-majors. Did y'all take bio for non-majors? I, t- I avoided all science classes in college. Really? Very so proud you, of myself. Like, I think I did exempted too. them with all your high school credits or My something. My wife took enough for both of us, but she's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> um, she took organic chemistry actually. Oh, so it was very hard. Yeah. Um, well, so she says so. She gets that analogy better than anybody. Organic <laughs> chemistry, dumb down organic chemistry, buy it for non majors. Yeah. Um, I don't think everything that South Carolina does is overly complicated. Like you look at some of the run schemes and some of the other, they have some of their base package plays that are not terribly hard to understand. I I, I would almost, I would almost pun on that, not because it's unimportant. Mm -hmm. I just think regardless, I I agree with Wes's point. You kind of think about some of the teams that run more of like the pro style stuff. Okay. So, the first three examples that came to my mind, Todd Munkin at Georgia, who's been, you know, an NFL offensive coordinator. Now he has college. There's carryover now right? Yeah. between um, between college and the pros more than ever. Um, you think about Bill O'Brien at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, before him, um, at some point, you had Brian Dable, you know, who, who was one of, and did a great job there. Yeah. What's a common theme with those programs? <laughs> they have way more talent than you do. Now you compare it to kind of Tennessee. Tennessee's system, which is not, I think contrary to popular belief, it's not like, oh, this is the easiest thing in the world to to do. It's not, you know, kindergarten. 
if we're going the academic thing. And even they have have added some stuff like Alex Alex Golesh, who's their OC. He spent a little time at Hypel with Hypel at UCF, but he came from Iowa State. So they've added some of the just tough, we're going to run it down your throat, Iowa State, to Tennessee. But what is like the common thread in, in that, whether it's Tennessee or like you look at Wake Forest or you look at Coastal Carolina, they do something different. It's a little unique. It's got some unique elements. And whatever they do, because all three of those systems are really different, they take their players and their skill sets and they maximize them. And so I think whatever we're talking about, pro-style, college, uh, a weird option, a weird mesh point running game type offense, just take what your what your players can do best and maximize it. And so we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about Spencer Rattler. And, well, why was his 2020 season at Oklahoma so good? And why is this season not so good? Um, there are a lot of reasons for that, but I think ultimately it's that this is the source of frustration for fans. They look at the amount of talent on this team, and it's not Alabama, not Tennessee. But you look at the amount of talent, and you that what you come away with is it should be better. You know, like the the production and the consistency should be better. Yeah, and I, I think um, to be completely clear, I I don't necessarily think that all the plays themselves, like in a vacuum, South Carolina's running is some reinventing the wheel, super difficult to execute, um, outside of the box, cra- crazy play. A lot of the plays in their own, like in a vacuum, are mm-hmm. similar plays to what everybody else is going to run. I look at it more of like, how do you install it? How do you get to it? How do you... What do you call it? What do you call it? Can you, um, you know, we, we've we've seen, um, was it Jordan Rogers mm-hmm. that was on the analysis yeah. of... Oh, which, the Texas A&M game, right? Wait, which guy was it? I think it was him talking about how, um, no, Kentucky game. Um, they were talking about how long some of the play calls were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, even in the very beginning, when, when they started installing everything in the, the spring, not this past spring, the spring before, they talked about how they had just thrown a bunch at the players and they were seeing what they were going to get and what fit, and then they were going to pare it down. Um, take that in contrast to let's say, how Mike Leach installs his entire base offense in three days and says, mm-hmm. like, this, this is the base, this is the sort of foundation of what we do, and then we build from there. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily that the plays themselves are that hard. It's just more about um, how, how you get there as far as play calling, logistically, how you install it, um, how often that leaves you time to efficiently rep your quote-unquote base plays to where you're able to execute what your base plays are at a high and efficient level. Um, yeah. that's but if you're eight games into the season and your quarterback says after a loss, you know, they didn't really know what the offense was trying to do. Th- this is all an oversimplification on my part. I understand that. But um, that's because any conversation like this, there are a thousand reasons why it- it's not working if you really sort of looked into the pie and divvied it up into those, all those reasons. But again, like we said yesterday, we're trying to figure out what's the biggest piece of this pie that is most um, affecting everything. Yeah. Scheme, execution, evaluation. It all has to improve. I, I guess to, to, to come back to it and not to, not to, I guess, put a bow on it exactly because y'all might have some thoughts on this as well. But um, I guess almost scheme aside, but just coming back to the Jaheim Bell issue. Like, if, if the staff cannot 
properly evaluate and figure out how to get them on the field, is it fair to trust them to trust that they're doing the rest of the evaluations well? Because clearly this is a situation that's been misevaluated, whether they've misevaluated Bell's talent specifically or how to use them or have just failed to execute in getting in the ball. I think it's, is it safe to assume that those issues are happening elsewhere and that that might be cause for some of the problems offensively? I mean, my, my answer to that would be, would be yes and no in that, um, apparently that's my go-to today, but no point being, it's going to be close. No. Yeah. There you go. Point being, um, coaches are not infallible. So they're, um, you know, they're going to make mistakes and, um, Unfortunately for them, their mistakes are amplified and discussed and, and broken down. I, I think, um, do you see these things continue to happen? Um, or is it a a particular thing with a particular player um, is probably where you find your answer to that question. 803-404-6100. Y'all let us know what you think. Love Chevy phone line, text line, and you can get all of us on Twitter, at Pearson Fowler, at West Mitchell GC, at GC Chris Clark. We will start to look ahead to the Vanderbilt game. That's Carolina's next game. They do play another game. They'll have an opportunity to get bowl eligible in that game. We'll talk about that. Any other thoughts that you guys have on the team in general? As uh, coach and players spoke yesterday, more coordinator thoughts to come later this afternoon, too, on 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. 11.38, Wednesday morning. Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Pearson, Wes, Chris, here with you in the Herndon Chevy Studios of 107.5 The Game. Talking Carolina football. A little big picture here today. Starting to look ahead to Vanderbilt. As well, we'll get more into that in the matchups, the specifics. Uh, Carolina opened as about a seven-point favorite. Haven't really tracked the line movement. Seems about right. A uh, game that takes on, uh, I mean, the Vander game, Vanderbilt game is always important to not lose, but now it seems like an added sense of urgency for South Carolina to ride the ship after a lackluster offensive performance um, against Missouri last weekend. Does um, Can't lose to Vanderbilt. I, I know, and I... I... I shouldn't say this, and somebody told me a long time ago, like, never, if, if you're in the media, never say things like, yeah, not much going on here, mm-hmm. or not, because it's like you're telling people not to listen to what you're about to say. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I feel like the Vandy game is, like, one of those games. No, Nobody likes, nobody likes playing Vandy, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, if you win, nobody gives you credit. And if you lose, it's like you just lost to Vandy. They haven't mm-hmm. lost an SEC game um, since. It's been twenty three straight, I think, for them. They haven't won an SEC game Ooh. since who knows when. So it, it's kind of one of those games. It's like most games as a fan, I think you can find reasons to get excited about most games. Um, you know, it's fun to break down when the fans are like involved yeah. and, and want to talk about it. This game is just like you it's know, like it's, it's not a great Illinois atmosphere or an Akron, but it's in your conference, which is unfortunate. Um, and honestly, it feels like fans, I don't know of both teams, but maybe at least in South Carolina, uh, kind of feel the same way about Missouri. Like, it's just always such a sleepy game. And I thought it was because Columbia, Missouri is kind of sleepy. Maybe it is. I've never been there. You mentioned when you were there, it was like kind of rocking because both teams are really good. But mm-hmm. I mean, like Saturday was just such a gray afternoon. It was a late arriving crowd. It wasn't really close to a sellout. It was going, yeah. this is the weather's fault. That's, uh, that's why South Carolina lost Saturday. It That's just it. it just felt well, so the grayness dreary. It took, but 
the, the one year the weather saved South Carolina against Missouri. And so, like, oh, it, it wait, owed, it's year. Yeah, so it owed, right. it owed South Carolina one. Yeah, yeah so we did a, you a that solid. That was a crazy game. Oh, well, Such a wild. crazy game. Yeah, but just, just a weird. So, yeah, back-to-back weeks that are, you know, I, I guess the, the best way to say it is that Carolina is going to need to create, it needed to create its own momentum against Missouri, didn't do that. They're going to need to create their own momentum against Vanderbilt, not only because you're on the road, but just because it's going to be another kind of sleepy game, and this team will at least have an opportunity to, I don't know, self-start, which I guess they didn't really seem to last weekend. 803-404-6100. Before we start to talk a little bit more about the Vanderbilt game, we'll go out to the Love Chevy phone line and hear from Tom, who's got some thoughts. What's up, Tom? Hi. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, really appreciate your uh, intelligent interaction about the uh, South Carolina football team. I, and I'm not a, I've never been a coach in football, so I don't call as a coach. But I do call from, with a leadership question. And that is, what is the elephant in the living room as far as this whole thing, as far as the offense for USC? And what I mean by that question is, I know uh, the uh, uh, Spencer Rattler came to us as a as the man that was going to help us to turn things around, and he came from another school. And my question is, I know you guys apparently talked about him a lot yesterday is um, from a leadership vantage point, if he's not getting it done as the quarterback, why why hasn't the leadership at some point asked the question of maybe he is some of the problem and would we consider benching him and uh, and putting someone else in for a period of time? I know that takes a lot of courage for a coach to do that, but I know we talk about the offensive coordinator, but when, when push comes to shove from a, from a leadership vantage point, the head coach makes those kinds of decisions. And so my question for you guys is that, is the quarterback situation a, a bit of an elephant in the living room here that's not being addressed? Tom, thanks for the call. I, I certainly think that it is, uh, and I think you ask a fair question. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, I guess, in the form of, What's the downside? And you do risk, you know, losing part of your locker room if the guys still believe in Spencer Rattler. You lose, you know, if things don't go the right way, you know, that that's you're right. It, it takes courage to make a decision like that. I would say that's what the whatever two or three million dollars are for, like to make the hard decisions, right? Um, I, I'm firmly, Tom, I guess, kind of in agreement with you that I, I don't know what the downside is, but I guess. Wes, what would you say the hesitation is from the coaching staff to make a move like that, to, to try to jumpstart the offense, even if it's not a long-term move? Yeah, I think, for one, um, it does appear they still firmly believe that uh, that Spencer Rattler is the best option for, for this team. And, um, you know, I, I think you do sort of – it's kind of, to me, one of those moves. Um, I don't know if there's any going back – from from making that move um in general or just because it's spencer um i would say mostly in general but also because it is spencer at no fault of spencer's actually i I think here's the thing look at how in so example clemson makes a change at qb in the middle of the game Dabo tries to get ahead of it as much as anyone possibly could and says Nah, this was a one-game thing. 
this guy is our guy. DJU is our guy. He's our quarterback. This is like, you know, Steph Curry has a bad shooting night, <laughs> blah, whatever he said. The the very first analyst that they go to at the end of the game is like, nah, you can say whatever you want, but you just benched your quarterback. Mm-hmm. And you went and won the game with the other guy. So the, the, the second South Carolina would make that change, the headline across not just Columbia, South Carolina, across the country becomes Spencer Rattler got benched mm-hmm. again. So I don't know if if you're going to make that move, I just I don't know if you're coming back from it. Like if you think long term, if you're still thinking, you know, Spencer Rattler may be back next year. If you think this is your guy, um, I don't know if there's a, enough finesse in the world <laughs> to sort of finesse that move to keep it from becoming a big national negative type story well, it, that you have would, to the, the outcome answer is, to. is extremely important though, because if you clearly there is precedent for benching for, for benching Spencer Rattler, nobody would argue that someone else doesn't deserve a chance right now. So if you can very easily justify that decision, if you start Luke Doty and he has a terrible game and Carolina loses to Vanderbilt, then you have even more confidence going forward with Spencer Rattler. And if you win, then you've gotten the desired result and you don't need to worry about changing back anyway, or what the perception is because you won the football game. That's the ultimate goal here. So if you lose, it takes care of itself. And if you win, it takes care of itself. Yeah, but it, but lost in that is almost like, what do you think going into the game? Do you think, and I know what's been said publicly about Luke's improvement, and I do believe that, but they might go in thinking, we we don't think Luke gives us a better chance than Spencer to win the game. You, you don't want to risk a game. Let's just give this a try. You know, mm-hmm. Like, you only get to play 12 regular season right. games a year, so you can't just on a whim, let, ah, let's just change this up just for the heck of it, and if we lose, ah, you know, you have a very, especially for this team, it's not like you can just trot whoever out there just as kind of a, a test case. So yeah, I, I, that's I mean, that's, that's the other side of it. Well, yeah, I mean, either way is fair to were, think were about. Were you about to say margin for error? Yeah, I stopped myself. No. I'm, I'm not going to talk. I'm not using the word margin anymore. No, margin for error. That's his favorite and phrase. Margin. Oh, really? Yes. Why? Yeah, I've, I've come off. I just talk about it too much, okay. but it, it's a it's a thing. That's like Drew hates uh, setting the edge. That's his least favorite thing. So Wes, you, you that was one of Wes's keys to the game last week, yeah. which, by the way, was, was a great point, yeah. and they didn't do it mm. <laughs> at all. Yep. <laughs> so. Not good. Uh, well, I guess the last thing I'll say on this, and thanks again for the call, Tom. This is where I would come back to the Jaheim Bell question and say if if they are not evaluating or executing that situation correctly, like does the fan base still need to trust the coaching staff that they're making the correct evaluation with the quarterback if they're not doing it with a guy that is ostensibly the best or most valuable player on your team or was supposed to be? I think that's where it's fair to to ask those questions. If if you're not replacing Spencer, he continues to play poorly. It's like, oh, well, they're screwing this up like they're screwing up the Jaheim thing. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying the fans are going to ask that question, and there's going to be precedent for feeling that way. So, um, Tom, I don't know if we will see any of Luke Doty this weekend. I don't know if he'll be starting, and this whole week has just been a slow roll, or if uh, he won't play again for the rest of the season. But it will certainly be interesting to see how that plays out. 803-404-6100, thanks for the call. Any other thoughts that you guys have as we close things out here on the Gamecock Central Hour on a Wednesday? Text line, love Chevy phone line, Twitter, however you want to be a part of the show. Go ahead and get us there. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. 
presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by firemen with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell on the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. Seven minutes in front of noon, Wednesday morning. Welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover, our last segment here for us today. Plenty more coverage of the Gamecocks, though, throughout the course of the day here on 107.5 The Game. Coordinator availability this afternoon. We'll have some thoughts on that a little bit later on as well. Um, got an interesting text here, and we touched on this a little bit yesterday, but as we start to look ahead to the Vanderbilt game, Brian suggests just scheduling a series for Luke Doty to play early. You're not benching Spencer Rattler. I hate the two-quarterback system, but I'm at least curious what that would look like. I think it has its own problems. You're not really giving Doty a chance to get into a rhythm. You're not giving Spencer a chance to get into a rhythm. I think there are problems with it, but do you think we might see something like that early for South Carolina? I'm not going to try to predict it because just based on history, it's it's tough to predict when coaches say, you know, yeah, we got packages for this guy or we definitely want to get him involved. It does not always happen. And that and that's not just at South Carolina. That's other places too. Um I mean, I said it yesterday, I think it was, I am fine. In fact, I would advocate with getting Luke involved. That doesn't even mean a whole series, but getting him involved somehow, uh, depending on how you do it, too. If you do the 2020 version, uh, non-bowl game edition of how mm-hmm. to carry on Joiner was used, where it's, you know, here's your package of plays, which is basically you're going to run it every single time. Yeah. Um, not as much, but if if you have a package of plays for Luke that you can run and you can do it without being predictable, um, I'm fine with it because I th- I think and I said this yesterday. Even if Spencer's playing well, I'm good with that because it's a different you know wrinkle to your offense. Shane Beamer pointed out yesterday that hey we've got you know we've got some stuff where Juice Wells gets a direct snap or you know one of the running backs gets yeah, a direct CBS snap. A couple I yeah. think in the last couple of weeks. So. I, I, you know, I'm f- I'm fine with it. I, I don't really have a feel as to whether or not we will see it from Luke Doty. Yeah. Don't know. Billy says that's how Mike Hold won the job in 1984, and the rest, as they say there, at least it's history. Wes, would you advocate for more of Chris's solution, or would you say, hey, third series of the game, no matter what, is Luke's? No, I like Chris's solution because it, um, it gets Luke in there without um, – it being this massive, you know, thing that's presented as, oh, the changing of the guard or <laughs> this guy got benched. And now I will say this, um, the, the very first or second play that you insert a, in, in this case, you're kind of talking about using Luke as like a wildcat quarterback. Um, you, you have to throw the ball down the field the first or second play you do <laughs> this. Like I, I feel like coaches almost act like, they, they feel like they have to establish the run with that look at first where You've established the run just by the other team seeing a different quarterback running onto the field. They know what you're doing. You know, I, I think you have to throw out of that. I mean, Stephon Gilmore in the Clemson game was that 2008 or whatever. Bombed yeah, 2009. Jeffrey. Um, hit Jeffrey, and uh, you know, I think he hit a big play against Florida State in the bowl game that year as well. And um, you know, I, I think you you you've got to throw, and you've got to maybe give him a few plays in a row, too. Like, the thing of running him on and running him off like they did with Joyner a lot of times last year um, doesn't do anything for anybody in terms of establishing some rhythm mm-hmm. um, and momentum. Yeah. Don't know if we'll see it. I'm kind of hoping for it, even though it's not traditionally what I look for. I don't like the two-quarterback thing. But Carolina 
absolutely needs a spark this weekend against Vanderbilt. We'll hear from Marcus Satterfield a little bit later on this afternoon, get his thoughts on what Carolina needs to do to fix some of the issues from Saturday. And we'll be back tomorrow to talk about it. For Wes, for Chris, appreciate you all listening. Uh, That is all we have time for. The Halftime Show is coming up next, and we will be back tomorrow. It could be information to change your life forever. Or the Something You Should Know podcast could just be something interesting. Ramit Sadie talking about being rich. The old definition of rich had a lot to do with how much money you accumulated, but it wasn't about how to spend it. It was more about how to get it. But okay, so once you get it, what do you do with it? In our culture, everybody tells you how to save, but nobody teaches you how to spend it. Something You Should Know, wherever you listen.